Listener Production. Do you have a difficult person in your life? They make other people feel uncertain. They make other people doubt themselves. And as soon as you feel that sense of doubt, you lose your groundedness in your own identity. Today on Feed, Play, Love, we're getting tips on how to deal with difficult people. Feed, Play, Love with Siobhan Hunt. Wouldn't it be nice if everyone in life was easy to get along with? The truth is that no woman is an island, and so we often need to have relationships with people who are, well, difficult. Think about it. Who in your life right now is difficult? It could be a work colleague, your mother-in-law, a sibling, a parent. What is it that grinds your gears about how they treat you? Dr. Rebecca Ray is the author of Difficult People, which is the ultimate guide for those of us struggling to manage these people in our lives. Hi, Beck. How are you? Hi, Chef. So great to be back. It's so lovely to have you. And I love this book because um, I may have texted you asking for an early release (laughs) copy (laughs) because I think that, oh, I just think this is going to help so many people. And the key thing is that Difficult people can knock us off our centre, can't Mm. they? Mm. Why is that? Actually, I wish I'd phrased it like that in the book. Why were you not sitting on my desk as I wrote it? (laughs) Because that's exactly what they do. They push us away from where we feel most grounded in our sense of identity. And the reason for that is they tend to disempower us. So there is something about difficult people which means they can sap us of our sense of Um, I don't mean power over another people. I just mean our sense of agency in the world, you know, to be able to have a say, have rights, have needs, have values that are going to be respected by other people. Difficult people, unfortunately, tend to storm into our environment bombastically, especially the loud ones. Not all difficult people are loud. But what they do as they do that is they actually take away our sense of agency. And that's usually because they're gaining some kind of benefit from having ongoing access to our personal resources, like our attention, our care, our support, our space, our money, our love, all of those types of things, our time and all the different types of energy. And that resonates with me so deeply because I think of the difficult people in my life, when I've had an interaction with them, I often walk away really discombobulated, like going, hold on a minute, that felt awful, but what did I do wrong? And and how did I provoke that? Or did I do this the wrong way? And, And wasn't I sensitive enough? And so it absolutely shifts you. You're like in this really uncomfortable place and then questioning yourself at the same time when really they're the one that's caused it. It's so interesting that you should say that because everyone that I've spoken to about difficult people, both in my research for the book and about the book itself, has said, but it makes me think, what have I done wrong? It makes me think, oh my goodness, am I, the, am I being difficult? What have I done that's made this person behave that way? And I think this is part of knocking people off their centre, right? It actually makes us look within and go, oh my goodness, how have I contributed to this? Now, I actually think that's a great question to ask because interactions and relationships don't exist as an island, as you said in the intro. 
they exist dynamically. So you do something, then I do something, and then uh, on and on it continues. And oftentimes with difficult people, we get into behavioural patterns or cycles together where we get triggered by these difficult people and we react in some kind of way that is usually negative because they make us feel horrible. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a difficult person. I I mean, sure, we can all be dicks. I mean, honestly... (laughs) Let's, we need to acknowledge that, right? Yes. I'm a psychologist. I've been a psychologist for 20 years. I can be a dick, okay? I'm just going to own that. But one of the things is that, you know, if you're a card-carrying, bona fide, difficult person, you probably don't stop to look in the mirror and go, what am I doing in this interaction that's making it uncomfortable? You certainly don't go to your local bookstore and pick up a book called Difficult People and read it. <laughs> No, but it's very helpful for those of us who do ask that question. In the first part of this book, you talk about the complexity of being human and you explain the many ways that difficult people are created, you know, and and, um, looking at their childhoods and that development. How can understanding what makes a difficult person help us deal with them? That's a really great question and the reason that that chapter was the first chapter in the book is because I really don't think that we can ignore that difficult people are most often created rather than born. So it's unusual for a baby to come out of the womb, be born into the world and just simply be difficult. Most often what happens is they are raised by grown-ups who are difficult themselves and who model difficult ways of being in the world and don't teach those children um, that they're worthy, that they're loved unconditionally, and they don't model to those children how to respect people's boundaries and how to actually nurture themselves and their own needs and their own rights. So instead, those little kids grow up having felt um, often worthless, but whether or not they actually have some kind of concept about that. They may not, but it's it's kind of like feeling an inner void. And so they arrive in adolescence and then adulthood needing to get um, something from other people to boost their sense of self-worth. And they can do that in ways that are very destructive. So that is, they take advantage of you and I to get some kind of boost for themselves. Um, being able to understand that allows us to not make it all about us. You know, I think so often, especially for people that have a sense of psychological mindedness, which is a concept which basically means that you have the capacity to look within and look at your own behaviour and look at your own thinking. People who do that are generally are also the people who will stop and say, what are, what's wrong with me? What have I done wrong to make this person behave in this way? If you understand that a difficult person probably has a very difficult history that comes with them, then it can also help you remember that this is not about you, it's about them and their learnt ways of being in the world. I'm so sure you've said that to me before. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What do you say then to people who might get too much in the weeds in terms of what has made this person difficult and therefore starts to excuse the behaviour? Yes, great question. 
so often happens for people pleasers. <laughs> yeah, um, that would be me. <laughs> <laughs> people pleasers who, can we just review, I know you and I have spoken about this before, but I think it's really important that we go over it again for listeners that people pleasing can often be a relational strength. And I think probably many of our listeners are listening going, yes, it's also me too, Chef. You know, I'm a people pleaser as well. Mm. There is nothing wrong with people pleasing. In fact, it can mean that you are amazing in relationships because you are so good at reading other people's needs. You're so good at being able to adapt situations so that you help other people feel comfortable. That's all great. Please keep doing that. Except. (laughs) Except. Here's the caveat. The caveat is that people pleasing is fine as long as your needs are met first. Now, if your needs are not met and you just continue people pleasing, then what's happening is you're diving into your giving tanks and you're giving resources to this person that you probably don't have available because you haven't actually checked in with what you need first. Now, in the case of difficult people or dealing with difficult people, so often because they are difficult, you just automatically think, oh my goodness, how do I just make this situation easier right now? Um, And if you go too far into, well, you know, they had a hard childhood or they've been abused or, you know, something bad happened to them that was traumatic, then what that stops you from doing is leaving the responsibility with them about how they behave you know, as adults, we all still must take responsibility and accountability for ourselves. And that includes those of us who have been traumatized in the past and those of us that had a less than ideal childhood. Those things are, are horrible. I've treated it and I've also been on both sides of the couch with trauma. And so I can also say very clearly that my trauma my background is not your responsibility. And the same exists for difficult people, although difficult people are much more likely to project their rubbish onto you and then to blame you for not carrying their rubbish effectively. And that's a big point in your um, book. You talk about we cannot fix difficult people. That's not what you're trying to teach us in this book. Look, unfortunately not, and I do believe that your text said something along the lines of, <laughs> how do I fix this, Beck? Um, and the, my response was probably something along the lines is, look, the bad news is, and it always is, the bad news always is that we can't control other people. So what that leaves us with is how on earth do we set boundaries effectively so that we are not constantly sapped by these people? We're not constantly giving these people rent-free space in our heads. At the very start of the book, you talk about the locus of control, which you just touched on there. You have this beautiful, simple diagram about what's inside our sphere of control and what's outside of our control. And I feel like that's the crux of the book. Like I, I, I looked at that and I thought, huh, it's so simple. I'm not saying it's simple to apply, but I just looked at that and thought, oh, my God, if I just applied that when someone who's difficult upsets me... It's a really clear focus point of how we can manage difficult people. I mean, it does, is. does that resonate with you? <laughs> yeah, it is. Because what you're saying is how we manage difficult people is by managing ourselves. And that's the crux of the book. Unfortunately, most people look externally at the difficult person as the problem because yes. they are. And in Taylor Swift terms, you know, hi, it's <laughs> me. I'm the problem. Um, <laughs> but ultimately, we can't do anything about that person. And so you're really limited to, well, you 
reduce access to you or you divorce them from your life altogether, which is a really difficult decision for many people to make unless it's someone that you can easily remove, like change jobs or something like that. But then it's a much harder decision to make if that person's a family member or that person is someone that's close to you that you can't easily remove. And even in the case of jobs, I mean, we're living in a cost of living crisis. But in that place, it's not just as easy to walk away from your workplace and get another job, right? Mm. So let's say you have to continue to spend time with this difficult person. We come back to the hard part is that I didn't write a book of solutions for you to do to that person. I wrote a book to explain how you actually manage yourself in the space of that person so that they have less impact on you because there's so little that we can do to them specifically. Definitely there's a lot of guidance here in terms of how we manage our own response. One of my favourite, favourite parts of this book is where you outline the archetypes of difficult people. I felt like this was so enlightening. I felt like oh, wow, okay, I can identify these people I'm struggling with, their traits, their character traits, their behaviours. It's all, it's it's almost, it was almost validating because it's like, oh, that's not me. That That's an actual type of person that she's identifying. It's in the book. It's on paper. It's real. <laughs> um, is it about validating? Is it that there's a power in naming a thing like what what's yeah. behind the power of this archetype these different archetypes that you've identified in the book I love that it's validating for you you're the first person to say that oh really in this kind of round of interviews that I'm doing about the book it's and so that means the world to me as an author because this book was hard to write <laughs> because it's hard to write about difficult people because there's so much nuance in every single interaction you know it's about me and this person or you and that person and every interaction is so specific to us in our own histories. I brought the archetypes in because I found that there was so many ways that we could describe difficult people that I found myself getting overwhelmed. And I thought if I'm getting overwhelmed with how many behaviours a difficult person can do, then I think what we need is we need some labels. Now, human beings love labels because it helps us to categorise information and it gives us something to hang our hat on. That's what you're, I think that's what you're finding validating is you're seeing a set of behaviours and perhaps uh, attaching those behaviours to someone that's difficult in your life and going, wow, there's a name for it. Now, full disclosure, I made those names up. (laughs) Um, So it's not like these names exist based on a psychometric measure. But the reason I did those categories is because based on all my research of people that are dealing with difficult people in their lives, they came back to me with these, I had a list of maybe four to six pages of behaviours that when I um, chunked them all down, we can use chunk as a word. <laughs> yeah, why not? It's very eloquent, Rebecca. <laughs> um, what happened was I ended up with those categories and I used those categories intentionally so that readers like you could read the book and have a person in the back of their mind and go, wow, that describes them. Yeah, and it absolutely does that. You were just mentioning there uh, sort of the list of difficult behaviours and as you mentioned there are lots of different types of difficult people, but one that I thought a lot of people would relate to was when you were um, describing difficult dancing and um, 
sort of explaining how certain behaviours can manifest. And I think the unhealthy moving against mm. is one that lots of people probably will understand and identify with because it is one of the more abrasive types of difficult people. Could you talk yes. to us about what that means, unhealthy moving against? Yeah, so unhealthy moving against is part of a set of interpersonal coping styles defined by a psychologist or psychoanalyst, I think she was, Karen Horney. And she discusses unhealthy moving against as a style of coping with conflict where a person naturally becomes more abrasive or more aggressive. So you can think of it in terms of you might be sitting there and trying to solve a problem and this person is actually escalating the situation. So their way of approaching that conflict is ready for a fight. Yeah. Now, for you and me and the people pleasers listening to it, to this, most for most people, that's actually a really uncomfortable state to be in because the vast majority of us are conflict avoidant. So we will tend to use unhealthy moving away. If we're going to use an unhealthy, there's healthy styles of these coping styles as well, but unhealthy moving away is like, no, 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 I can't possibly solve this problem because it was going to lead to some kind of escalation. I can't cope with that. So I'm just going to sweep it under the carpet. Unhealthy moving against says, I am going to go in there guns blazing and I'm going to win at all costs. And these people, especially in the workplace, are just really difficult to deal with because uh, I love that you used the word discombobulated before and it made me think of the word bombastic because unhealthy moving against is the bombastic person in your workplace that says, or in your life, that says, actually, no, I'm here to get out of this situation, whatever advantage I possibly can. And I don't really care who I steamroll to do that. Yeah. And it, and it, in the workplace in particular, I think it just takes everyone back. Yeah. Like you don't get as much done and you're yeah. too busy oiling that squeaky wheel. Another thing you point out is that it's important to identify patterns when it comes to understanding if someone is difficult mm. or if they're just having a bad day. Yeah. Can you talk to me about that? Yeah, absolutely. So in the book, I spent time basically helping you decide whether or not you actually have a difficult person on your hands. And this is because all of us just have bad days and we can't walk around going, I'm dealing with a difficult person, a card carrying difficult person, if it's just someone that's having a really crappy day or they're going through a divorce and then they're not themselves or their mother has terminal cancer and they've been spending all this time caring for them and they're only just surviving or God forbid they have a newborn at home and they haven't <laughs> slept in six months. So all of these situations can just point to a difficult season in someone's life. It doesn't actually mean that they're a difficult person. And I think that's really important to have readers understand rather than just walk around with, you know, like a stamp, a metaphorical stamp that you're then stamping metaphorically on people's heads in your head. As you look at them and go, yep, another difficult person. Yep, you're a difficult person. That's not necessarily the case. Then as I move through helping you decide whether you're, you've got a difficult person on your hands, the most important part of that is looking at patterns because, you know, I, I see it so often is that one of the strongest signs that you really are dealing with a difficult person is that you can predict their behaviour. 
Mm. that you know that on Monday at that work meeting, they're actually going to claim credit for something that you've done because they've done that a million times before. Or you know that when you go and you see your father, that he's going to make a crack about how much debt you've got um, and how you should manage your money better. Shout out to everyone who has boomer parents. <laughs> um, uh, you know, there's, there's patterns that occur and those patterns either occur just in the life of this person or just in your workplace or they actually occur between you and the difficult person over and over again so that you feel like you're cycling through a difficult person groundhog day. It's one of the clearest signs, I think. And it is for psychologists, this is what we do, right? We are professional pattern observers, pattern notices, where we can actually go, okay, there's a pattern there which might lead us to make this kind of hypothesis about this person's behaviour. You can do the same with the people in your life. And I think it's really important to notice patterns because if you don't, you're actually missing information that is sitting right in front of you about where boundaries might be needed. And that is something I haven't asked you about because, of course, your previous book was on setting boundaries. Yes. But you mentioned that it's almost like the two books are almost need to be together because what we need to do with difficult people is put boundaries in to protect ourselves. Yeah. So what happened was I wrote Setting Boundaries that came out in 2021 and it was received super well and turned into a bestseller, which I'm so grateful for if you read it. Thank you so much. (laughs) But what happened was I got so many messages from readers that said, thank you so much for your book. I loved it. I'm actually feeling really confident in setting my boundaries. I feel like I know what my values are but they're just not working with this one person. Yeah. What do I do with this one person in my life? And I got that question so often that it really noted in my mind that there was a follow-up that was needed. This, I mean, this isn't setting boundaries part two, no. but it's, it's, it's an answer to that question. What do I do about this person where my boundaries just aren't working? Well, I love this book. I mean, that sounds terrible. It sounds like I've got lots of difficult people in my life, which I don't, but it it is, I don't know, it's just so empowering, I think, and validating for anyone who's dealing with a difficult person. So I highly recommend it. Beck, thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you so much for having me, Chef. That's Dr. Rebecca Ray. Her book is called Difficult People, Dealing with the Bad Behaviour of Difficult People, and you'll find links in the notes of this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love, a listener original podcast. If there's something you'd like to learn more about, email me at feedplaylove at sca.com.au. I'd love to hear from you. For more great kids and parenting podcasts, check out the listener app. And don't forget to follow us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.